0: Hi, I'm Cassandra Fredrickson.
1: And I'm Norman Mitchell, and we're the hosts of Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we discuss, appreciate, and delve too deep into the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions, one minute at a time.
0: You know there's a Balrog down there, right?
1: It'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Have you ever wondered about Hobbit Economy or how wizards get their mail?
1: Are you also in awe of Hugo Weaving's
0: eyebrows? Then join us every Monday through Friday on our mission, quest, thing only on DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Phil Connors from the film Groundhog Day. And to help us with our discussion, we are joined by returning guest Nick English. Welcome back, Nick.
1: I am the reigning and well, okay. so I actually think that I am the most talked about (laughs) special guest in the history of the of the Protagonist Podcast. So I'm kind of a big deal.
2: Because we mention you in every episode, in our that, that's true,
1: every single episode. So
2: uh, yes, we uh, we thank <laughs> you for creating our uh, our art, uh, our logo. <laughs> the The protagonist podcast logo is a Nick English original.
1: Well, you guys, you guys contributed um, quite a bit, um, and like I said last time, I still every time I listen to the podcast, I say you're welcome after you say <laughs> thank you. So you can just and, think and of and that still. Team- <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, every, ever since you told us that, uh, I, I imagine it happening when I read that line in our outro.
1: <laughs> well, it'll always happen, So, uh, so good. I'm glad that I can be um, on your mind every time.
2: Yes. Well, as we said, we are talking about Groundhog Day, (laughs) which is a 1993 film written by Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis and based on a story by Danny Rubin. It stars Bill Murray as Phil Connors and Andy McDowell as Rita Hanson and tells the story of a narcissistic human being who gets stuck reliving the same day over and over again until he becomes a better person. Nick, do you remember how you came to the film Groundhog Day, or has it just kind of always been around for you? Um,
1: so was it '93 that this movie came out? Yeah, yeah it says right there. Um, so I was 12 in 1993, and so like this is the type of movie that like it's right. It's like right when you're in like sixth grade and seventh grade, and you're like, "What cool movies did you see?" You're trying to find your independence and stuff like that, and so this was a huge deal. Like around my circles. I have no idea the first time I saw it. I just know that everyone talked about it. And my dad was always a big fan of Bill Murray. Um, and so I'm sure that we just got it. And it was just a movie that always existed after that time. You know? But I, I there's no way that I can remember the first time I saw it. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in the theater because we didn't go to the movies that often. Um, but I'm sure I saw it Know, around that time and a sleepover or something who knows
2: uh similar to you i don't remember when i first saw it i but i'm also pretty sure it was not in the theater saw it um probably on vhs right when this was coming out in the mid-90s it would have been on vhs that uh, my family yeah, got absolutely. it and it became uh producer andrew you can confirm this uh kind of a an annual tradition that on ground Hugs day this was on not necessarily like everyone sitting down and watching it with full focus but on the evening of groundhog day, this was definitely on the TV in the family room. Is that right? Andrew? Yeah, it was,
0: it was a really stable tradition. I don't think kind of a tradition. I think this was <laughs> one of the, I mean, there's at least half a dozen movies that were very consistent holiday viewing, even on school nights. Wow. <laughs> we, would, we would put it on. And this was one of them, uh, sleepless in Seattle for Valentine's day, quiet man. Oh, I for didn't even Saint remember Patrick's that one. day. I'd forgotten. i forgotten that one entirely. Uh, what sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. That, was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was yeah for Valentine's Day, and okay. and mom would make the the chocolate the heart shaped chocolate tort. Wow, um, yeah. and then what other? I mean, for a long time, Star Wars was New Year's Eve, huh?
2: And but then it also um, Lord of
0: the Rings. It was like one of those trilogies was on on New Year's yeah, Eve. Yeah, there was a tough on balance mid, on those
2: midday somewhere, and it was just on. And again, not like everyone yeah. was sitting down and lights off and eating the popcorn, it was just on on the TV
0: in there. <laughs> Yeah, um, um White Christmas would be Thanksgiving yeah. evening. Well, White Christmas
1: is the one that comes to my mind for my family, like forever. And yeah, I that still would be like that.
0: the the first one we would watch at the end of the day on Thanksgiving, the first Christmas movie. I oh, think we watch that, that year Most it of them didn't we didn't does. We didn't really have a stable <laughs> Halloween or um 1776 and Independence Day on the Fourth of July. Those would be big ones, or around yes. the Fourth of July, quite quite the double header. Those two really go together well. <laughs> the double <the little> feature. <laughs> Um, and
2: dancing founding fathers and aliens destroying the planet
0: yeah so that's that's about where where our stuff was and Groundhog Day I think was really one of the more fixed stable um, definitely gonna happen on Groundhog Day
2: yes which um, the screenwriter uh, let's see uh, double checking his name uh, Danny Danny Rubin he said um, initially when he was conceptualizing things, this was just a day in January that got repeated. And then he saw groundhog day and just thought like part of the thought process was this could become an annual tradition for people <laughs> on groundhog day. Cause there's nothing for groundhog day. If this was set on groundhog day. Um, and uh, just talking about this film, I, I want to note, this is my favorite film period. Like when I'm asked, like, what it's is my favorite one. film? This is wow. always number one. And then there's a lot of other things that are jumbled up in that top tier immediately after, but I will never not say Groundhog Day is my go-to. I think this hits so many of the right tonal and thematic and comedic marks really well. It has all the performance, and it's also like a tricky technical film to have been made, but in a way that doesn't like show off the trickiness of actually accomplishing what was accomplished. It's just when you start to think about the process, you're like, how did they actually do this? <laughs> like, uh, th- th- uh, There's a lot of artistry, uh, both in the story that is being told and also how the story had to be told on film that just comes together for me in, in making my favorite movie. And when we started the podcast, uh, you know, four years ago, Todd said he wanted to talk about Don Quixote. I said I wanted to talk about Groundhog Day, and we never got to it for 200 plus episodes. And then Todd left and he's come back to talk about Don Quixote. And now we're talking about Groundhog Day. So we're finally checking off some of our, our to
0: get to uh, topics that we wanted to do when we started this podcast years mm-hmm. ago. And uh, Joseph, I'll just say the, the technical aspect just to reveal to the listeners why it's so technically difficult. It's because every day doesn't have the same weather. <laughs> yes. And, and they were filming and they film <laughs> a lot outside.
1: I, I didn't even think about that, but that's funny.
0: Yes.
2: Like, and there is yeah, when you're filming, filming, like how do you do it? <laughs> days, yeah. Well, like there's film, uh, there's footage of the same scenes, sunny day and the same scene, cloudy day, because they would run out and get it when they had different kinds of weather, just in case, because they weren't sure what they were going to be able to get everything of. <laughs> and so, well, and this was this so, was
1: filmed in Illinois, right? And mm-hmm. it, and so, in Woodstock, is that is that what I I was reading? Uh, I I was,
2: that name is sounding right. I know it was Woods, in Illinois. Yeah, double check.
1: I they they actually made a plaque that um, they put in the street um, in the puddle that he steps in.
2: <laughs> yes, it's in Woodstock, Illinois.
1: Yeah, and and I saw that. I saw that. I thought that was funny. They they love Groundhog's Day in Woodstock, Illinois now um, because of this movie. But and I, mean, I saw I'm it even honored. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. If this is your favorite movie <laughs> of like all time, like that's that's kind of a big deal. So thank you.
2: I mean. There's a lot of other great films, but yeah this is this is my favorite movie so i'm glad I'm glad you're here Nick to to talk about it with us uh, why don't we jump into the trivia that I had um so mentioned that this was based on a story by Danny Rubin when he was had moved to Hollywood to become a screenwriter um he got an agent and the agent said um." you know, besides whatever it is you're actually going to sell to people, you need to have a story that just gets you in the door. And this might not be the one that you sell, but it's the one that everyone has. Oh, that's interesting. And he like the the framework of what became Groundhog Day was that story that got him into the door (laughs) with producers and producers would often say, well, that sounds really good, but there's no way you could possibly film that. So what else do you have? (laughs) But it's what got him into the room because it is an interesting concept. And at this point, like the The protagonist repeats the same day over and over again until something happens to change. It It has become almost a subgenre of of film. Uh, Uh, I could think of
1: a dozen films
2: just off the top of my head. Right. So, like, there's the Tom Cruise one, the what was it? It was supposed to be Live, Die, Repeat, but then it got Uh, changed.
0: uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Yes.
2: No, it's just that one. I I know there was some social media one that just came out. There's the one on the train.
1: What was that one called? I don't know.
2: I, that have, I mean, there's a um, lot of these. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, but this is one that, that popularized it. Right. Now, there was a short story, I think it was called like 1201 AM, that was published in the 70s and got adapted a couple times that had that conception. There's no evidence that Ruben knew about that um apparently the rights holders to that short story considered suing the makers of groundhog day but that was like a sci-fi story i think and they like if all you have is like this idea of repeating the same day there's not enough really there to say plagiarism, (laughs) particularly now that it's become again like this trope that gets done over and over again i was listening to an episode uh this week of the uh the omnibus uh podcast and they were talking about this Victorian novel called vice versa, which is the first identified body swapping, like mm-hmm. uh, outside of like Greek mythology. Like there, obviously there's some body swapping kind of stuff in Greek mythology, but like the, the it's a father and son who are like arguing about their lives and they, they swap bodies <laughs> and, and they they're talking about how like now all the freaky Friday and they did the same yeah, thing. Like, now there's like a story. dozen films that use well, this, that. this kind of concept. Yeah. Um, and, Groundhog Day, even though it's not really the first text of that, is kind of like the one that popularized it and codified this as um, a kind of story. And to the point that like Groundhog Day has become, uh, you know, a language that's used for repeating the same thing over and over. Apparently, it gets used a lot in the military. <laughs> they talk about certain kinds of assignments, and it's a Groundhog Day assignment. Um, I saw oh. uh, mentioned as, as like one of the the impacts of this film. Um. Some other bits of trivia uh, in some early drafts of the script, they were they they got hung up on trying to explain how this was happening to Bill Murray. And then at some point they decided it doesn't matter. And I think it's a much better film without, you know, some curse or some magical token or, (laughs) you know, so so a ghost, you know, telling him or, you know, any of the, the things that could have been used that it just happens until he's a better person and then doesn't. Uh, and I think that's, uh, it's just, um, wonderful in its ambiguity on that. And I think that ambiguity is one reason why the film is kind of fascinating. Um, Steven Tobolowski, who plays Ned in the film, um, he had a podcast called The Tobolowski Files. And he talked, in talking about this, he, he mentioned like basically every world religion has had members of that religion tell him how Groundhog Day is applicable to their beliefs, their like their spiritual beliefs. Um, <laughs> and i think that that ambiguity is one one thing that lends it to that right that that everyone can kind of see something there because they don't say this is because he touched a you know he t- he took the cursed tiki <laughs> idol from hawaii or you know wh- whatever it may have been that, that they were going to explain it to, uh used to explain it uh there is a musical version of groundhog day i did not know about this until i was looking up trivia <laughs> it premiered in london uh, just a couple years ago at the time of this recording uh and it has also played on broadway and apparently it it was pretty well well received um uh at uh, it, it won a couple of awards in london and uh, got good reviews uh on broadway but i i hadn't even heard of it i'm trying to remember <laughs> who it was though I thought this was funny. Let me, let me uh, double check who it was uh, for the stage adaptation. Yeah, Steven Sondheim expressed interest in creating a musical adaptation. I'm just reading from Wikipedia on this. Uh, in 2003. But then he said, to make a musical of Groundhog Day would be to gild the lily. It just can't be improved. <laughs> so he, he gave up. Um, let's see. Uh, a couple other things. The groundhog in the film. It says, uh, or I found notes that um, there were several groundhogs that were used in filming. And they were just collectively called Scooter. So whenever Scooter was needed on set, it was whatever the best behaving groundhog uh, at that time was. Well,
1: and even Bill Murray Uh, said that the groundhog bit him multiple times. And so the groundhog hated him all the time. (laughs) Like like no matter when the groundhog was there, he always just bit him all the time.
2: (laughs) So I don't know. Karma, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I I imagine a groundhog is a pretty tough co-star to work with. Like like when it comes to like animal trainers and wranglers that have the animals at the ready groundhog has to be pretty low on the list of ones they can actually guide to a performance and one that they're, they're ready with, (laughs) you know, it's like,
1: Oh yes, I am a professional uh, groundhog trainer. Uh, I'm ready on at any moment. I have the groundhog for you. I don't know. I mean, that would be really interesting (laughs) to know. (laughs) There was somebody that was like, yes, I'm waiting for my moment
2: uh it has a 96% uh fresh rating on rotten tomatoes.com when it came out it made 70 million dollars at the box office in 1993 which doesn't sound like a ton but it was the 13th highest grossing film of the year hmm. um so with all the inflation that number sounds less impressive now but back in 93 that was you know you're in your top in the top 20 for the entire year um hmm. <laughs> i thought this was a little bit funny um among the reviews at the time um, like Roger Ebert gave it three stars originally, but then ended up including it in uh his great movie essay collection because he said I underestimated it on my first viewing and multiple viewings made me see that this is really a great special film uh and there was one reviewer it was how or no, it was um Howe of The Washington Post who said the film is good, uh, let's see. It, but will never be designated a national film treasure by the library of Congress. However, in 2006, it was designated a national treasure by the library of Congress. It is on the, the national film registry to be preserved forever now. Well, that guy can eat his words. <laughs> yeah, he's, like as you're writing that sentence as part of you think maybe nah. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> like, it's one of those that's things a... that's like, should,
2: should I really say
1: this? Because there's a slim chance it might actually happen.
2: I don't know. Like, and and me saying this makes it more likely the fact that I'm about to put this in print makes it more likely to happen. Right. At least that's what I would feel as a writer. I think if I was putting something like that down in print, um, and, uh, I mean, this is a little bit spoilery about the ending, but, uh, I I think it's worth noting here at the end of the film, he has, uh, the character of a Phil has kind of this perfect day and Rita has been kind of, um, this woman that he's he he's been pursuing on several days and he's never been able to actually like connect with her as as much as he likes and on the last day it's kind of the perfect day he's he's completely selfless and he's serving all these other people and she becomes intrigued with him because of that and then um in the morning he he wakes up and then uh the the radio starts playing uh the the song (laughs) and her arm Reaches over and turns off the radio. And that's what he realizes. Something's different. <laughs> like I, the day did not reset to the origin yeah. point. And, um, on set when they were about to film that Bill Murray said, did we sleep together? And everyone paused because the script was ambiguous. And they're like, I don't know. And they, uh, the story that I've heard is that they actually took a vote on set. Of whether or not they did, and it was pretty split evenly, you know, fifty fifty. And then an intern said, "If they slept together, it ruins any impact of this film." And everyone's kind of paused for a second, and they're like, "They're right."
0: <laughs> well, what like, I heard is that, that he
2: fun. asked whether or not he should have his shirt on or not for that reason. Right to imply, to, ply, to, to imply, to imply that they had and, s- yeah, they yeah that they had slept together. And when they said like, if it becomes that sleeping together is what broke him out of the cycle, what is the message of the film then? And everyone was kind of like, oh, right. <laughs> and so they added the line of dialogue where like in the morning when he's really excited to wake up on a new day, he kisses her and she says, oh, like last night you just fell asleep to try. And I make wish it you would have been the this
1: frisky last night. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To make it clear to the audience that they have not slept together. That is not what broken out of the cycle, though. I still have heard people misinterpreting that that finale and saying that oh like they don't like the movie because it's just saying sex is what you know what makes him a better person and i think they were very clearly trying not to yeah. say that at the end
1: well you should have uh, definitely Nick, you, across- you should have definitely blown the spoiler horn on that one jeez <laughs>
2: I, it is a 25 year old movie at this point. Right? So,
1: so the only other thing, and I, I, mean, I was kind of gonna maybe bring this up during our discussion, but um, there was actually somebody who tried to calculate how long it would take, or like how many iterations of um, of the day. I he think had. I think
0: a few people have had have yeah. had a go at that.
1: And there's 38 days that are for sure like in the movie. So in the movie, it shows 38 clearly different separated days uh, but when they asked um, i don't remember if it was the director or whomever um, they a lot of people had calculated that it would have been like 200 or 300 days um, and the director just kind of in passing said well i i i thought of it as like a thousand years and i was like Oh, <laughs> so that kind of gave me a new <laughs> yeah. thing. You know, like some people calculated, you know, 200 years. Some people said 200 days.
2: Um, right. You yeah, know, based right. on a he, lot of different things. Certain skills. Like we know he becomes an expert piano player. We know he becomes fluent in other languages. And people are like, well, how many days would it take to do these things? Uh, yeah. And yeah, 10,000 hours to become a
1: master page. of something. Right. So mm-hmm. I mean that's the the golden rule of it, so anyway, yeah, so that that was just another interesting tidbit that i uh that I was curious about, so I started like you know researching, like, I wonder how many days this actually was or if it has ever been said, and that's the only thing I could find, so
2: yeah. All right. Well, Nick, you were kind enough to write the long summary, and I definitely appreciate that. But before we get to it, listeners, we want to thank all of you for joining us on this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level will receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office, which is now just kicked off uh, for the new year. And, uh, producer, if you missed that episode, producer Andrew is, uh, is participating in our fantasy box office. So we'll, uh, be there together every month on the quick cast to give an update there and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So Nick, thank you again for writing this long summary. And now, (laughs) which I'm especially thankful because time travel ones are always tricky and this is kind of a pseudo time travel. Like it's a cousin of time travel kind of kind of story so i i very much appreciate you uh tackling so, the summary for this film
1: so i just had to i just have to say i was like oh movie that'll be easier no it wasn't easier <laughs> um and also as i was writing it um i just kept going and going i was like no that has to be you know this needs to so something else makes sense and at the end i asked my wife i was like Lena. Do you think that this is too much? And she's like, oh, that sounds really long. So if it's too long, I apologize. I did practice a few times to try to time it out. But um, yeah, I I, I tried really hard to make it as concise as I possibly could. Anyway, so um, here we go. Phil Connors is a weatherman for Action 9 News WP. B.H. Pittsburgh. We open with him giving his daily forecast on a typical broadcast, and he makes the announcement that he will not be in the studio tomorrow for it is Groundhog's Day. He will be going to Punxsutawney to take part in the annual festival where where if the groundhog sees his shadow, it means that there will be six more weeks of winter. The anchorwoman smiles and suggests that he should be really excited for this is his third year covering the event. He corrects her and says it is his fourth year while trying to hide his displeasure that he has to attend. Uh, After he leaves, his co-worker comes to him and says he's happy to cover the nine o'clock shift and suggests that he stays in Punxsutawney at the recommendation of the new producer, um, Rita, and she is very excited to go to the event. He does not like this idea and does not want to stay one second longer than he has to. Um, On the drive to the event, Phil informs Rita, his producer, and Larry, the cameraman, um, that this will be his last year covering the event because there are many networks scouting him, and he will be moving on to bigger and better things, uh, and they don't seem very convinced. Um, When they arrive, Phil informs Rita that the hotel that she has selected is not good enough for him, and he will not stay there. So Rita laughs and says, well, you're not staying here. And he commends her for being a good producer and keeping the talent very happy. Uh, Then he leaves to go to the bed and breakfast she had booked for him. Uh, Larry laughs and says, did he just call himself the talent? Um, And they have a little chuckle. So then we cut to uh, an alarm clock showing the time of 6 a.m. and playing the song I Got You, Babe by Sonny and Cher. The song ends and an enthusiastic radio personality says, okay, campers rise and shine. And don't forget to get your booties because it's cold outside. Uh, They continue talking about the weather and Phil, as Phil gets ready and they inform us that the national weather service says that there is going to be a big storm coming in. Uh, They also wonder if groundhog named Punxsutawney Phil is going to see his shadow because it's Groundhog's day. As Phil walks out the door, he's met by another guest Making small talk, he asks Phil, "Do you think it's gonna be an early spring?" And Phil replies, uh, "I'm predicting March 21st." <laughs> he laughs as Phil heads down to to get breakfast, uh, where Phil is met by the hostess. He asks for an ex- espresso, and and there is none. She comments that there will be a blizzard. Uh, she comments that there may be a blizzard, and Phil goes into a detailed description of the chance of the storm blowing right past them. And she smiles politely, a little bit confused. He replies, "Did you want to talk about the weather, or was that just chit chat?" She shrugs and then asks him if he is going to be leaving, or when he's going to be leaving, or checking out tonight. And he replies, "Chance of departure, one hundred percent." As Phil, uh, as Phil is walking to the festival, the he words passes words right there. <laughs> as phil is walking past uh walking to the festival he passes an old man begging for money and he hurries past him as he is summoned by a tall man in a trench coat and a fedora phil hey phil 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 connors i thought that was you uh yeah hey thanks for watching says phil Hey, don't tell me you don't remember me because I sure as heck fire remember you. Uh not a chance. Ned! Ned Ryerson! Needle nose Ned? Ned the head? Come on, buddy! Case Western high. <laughs> he tells him a detailed history of their time in school together and tells them that he is now I, in the I, insurance I, I business. Just
2: say, right now I am so glad that you're doing the summary, just for your Ned Ryerson impression. It is
1: uh <laughs> It's so <fun>. good. <laughs> <laughs> Tells him, okay, so he tells him that he's in the insurance business. Bing! If you have life insurance, you, always, you could always use a little more. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? 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 Phil tries to shake him off, and Ned is very persistent uh, to pitch him on his insurance. As Phil is just about to shake him off, he steps off the curb into a giant puddle, and Ned laughs and says, Watch out for that first step! It's a doozy! The festival is lively and well-attended, and Rita calls Phil over to, uh, to get started on the broadcast. Her optimism on how fun the festival is is disgusting to Phil, and he shoots her down. Uh, they start the broadcast, and Phil mentions how it's the same every year. Uh, the mayor then lets the groundhog out of the little stump house and proclaim, proclaims in a loud and proud voice, Punxsutawney Phil, the seer of seers, has stated in Groundhoggies, I definitely saw my shadow six more weeks of winter. The crowd erupts in booze, and Phil signs off from the broadcast and quickly leaves. The crew is traveling home, and the weather looks worse and worse as they continue, and Larry comments to Phil, "Uh, maybe this is the storm we were not supposed to have. As the car comes to a complete stop in bumper-to-bumper traffic, Phil storms out to talk to the police officer, and he tells them to head back, for they are closing the road. Next, we see the crew at the hotel bar, and Rita suggests that they have dinner. Phil says, I had Groundhog for lunch, and he says he's just going to go to bed. So the next morning, the clock ticks at 6 a.m., and the song, "I I Got You, Babe, plays, Phil scoffs and says, they're playing yesterday's tape. As they talk about it being Groundhog's Day, and he looks out the window and there's no snow on the ground. And the same scene as the day before, he confusedly heads to the door and runs into the, runs into the same man asking about early spring. He assaults the man and asks him, what day is it? The man tells him, February 2nd, Groundhog's Day. He leads, he, he heads downstairs to a similar encounter from the day before at breakfast. He asks the hostess if she has ever had deja vu and she replies, I don't think so, but I can check with the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> he walks outside and asks, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's funny. Uh, <laughs> he walks outside and asks the passerby where everyone's going. And she, uh, she says to go see the groundhog. Uh, he continues and runs Runs into a familiar mad Ned Ryerson. Bing! Right out of the gate, he shrugs at him and steps right off the, right off the curb into a big puddle. Confused, he heads to the festival. Rita calls him over, and Phil asks for someone to give him a good hard slap. Rita slaps him without hesitation. He does the broadcast as the Groundhog gives us the same prediction as before. He leaves in the middle of the presentation and immediately goes back to the hotel. As he is going to bed, he breaks a pencil and places it on the nightstand. The clock ticks 6 a.m. And Phil immediately looks for the pencil and it is nowhere to be found. He rushes out the door. He sees the early spring guy, heads straight outside, skipping breakfast, sees the beggar and runs away from Ned as he he still tries to sell him insurance. And he steps in the puddle. He heads straight to Rita and says he needs to talk about something not work-related. He skips the broadcast and asks her to come to the diner. Um, during the breakfast, he confides in Rita that he has been living the same day for three days straight. She does not believe him. Tells him that he needs to get his head examined. Uh, Larry comes in and says, we need to get on the road. And Phil refuses. Next, we see Phil at the doctor's office while Dr. Egon Spelgler... No, I'm just kidding. Not really him. Um, <laughs> While well, a doctor tells him that nothing is wrong, uh, that he can see, and he suggests him going to a psychiatrist. Uh, the shrink says, uh, yeah, I can help you, but let's meet tomorrow, and then Phil immediately leaves. Um, he ends up talking to some men at a bowling alley, and while he is talking to him them, he realizes that there are no consequences for his actions. So they get in the car and go on a bender. They hit some mailboxes. They end up riding on some train tracks and playing chicken with an oncoming train. And in the end, the police pick him up after he crashes the car. He spends the night in jail.
2: This moment has, for me, one of the oddest moments of the film. Because you see, as they are playing chicken with the train, you see
0: police car lights in their rear window (laughs) yeah so there is a police car definitely behind them on the tracks and and then they swerve, uh, and you do not see a police car
2: swerve as well and so i think they just killed some policemen or
1: the policemen were just smart enough to get off the track immediately (laughs) and not play chicken which is probably i i like the less morbid version of that tale but you know, you can decide.
2: <laughs> I, I, they, right before he swerves, you can still see the sirens in their rear window.
1: Well, maybe they just pulled off to the side and they still had their sirens yeah, on. I, I, I like, I like to be positive in this, you know, like that, that's kind of sad. But, you know, if they're releaving the same day, unless, yeah, anyway, that's a whole other uh, conversation. Okay, so one of these um,
2: days become its own branching. Uh, yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's, it's the separate, um, you know, Earth 185, 186, 187. Um, Okay, so um, he spends the night in jail and wakes up in his bed listening to I've Got You, Babe. So he heads downstairs and asks the hostess if any policemen were looking for him. She says no, and he kisses her. He heads to the festival, and when Ned approaches him, he punches him right in the face. Then he skips over the puddle, and uh, next we see him at the diner with Rita. And he is eating anything and everything he could possibly ever want. Uh, Rita asks him if he worries about anything and he says he does not worry. Larry shows up and tells tells them that they need to head off to the road. And as Phil leaves, he sees a pretty woman and asks her uh, a bunch of questions about herself. Uh, The next morning he uh, sees her at the festival and uses all the info he got from her to break the ice uh, they end up in bed together, and during the throes of passion, he says Rita's name. Next, we see him sitting on the curb, waiting for an armored car to go to the bank. Um, he he does a play-by-play of every action that is happening. Uh, then, at the perfect moment, he takes a large bag of money when no one sees. Uh, next, we see him on a date with another woman, and as he he pulls up in a super nice Mercedes, and he is all dressed up. Now, why he's dressed up in a gaucho outfit and his date is a French maid, I don't know. But that's the type of movie we're watching. Um, uh, Another day passes and he asks Rita what she would do if she only had one day to live. Uh, She plays coy and then starts opening up to him about the type of man she would want um, out of uh, wants in her life. Um, He starts taking mental notes, and after she gives her checklist of desirable traits, he states that he is really close on this one. After a few days, he learns more and more about Rita and starts discovering all her favorite things, drinks, sayings, and quirks. Uh, He spends all of his time trying to create the perfect day uh, and all the ways of making Rita fall in love with him. He talks about French poetry, learns French to impress her, learns her dreams and her passions. After many tries, uh, the dates end, end up in the... Uh, the oh, okay. The date ends up with them making a snowman and having a moment dancing where it looks like they may key, kiss. He tries... Uh, he takes her to the hotel and he comments on how... Uh, she Oh, sorry. And she comments on how... Uh, she never thought a day like this could end up um, as the perfect day. He comments, uh, well, you could. And uh, he invites her up. She resists at first, but then comes up to the room. As they start to get intimate, she still resists, and he is very persistent. Uh, he keeps suggesting all the things that she loves, and she says, no, I'm tired. I I can just see you tomorrow. Uh, he, I, I can't stay with you tonight. He says... I love you. Why not? And she kind of gets spooked by it. You don't even know me. And then she comes to the realization that the whole day has been one big setup. Uh, She claims, I could never love anyone like you because you only love yourself. She slaps him and proclaims, that's for making me care about you. Uh, We see... Uh, them next making the snowman again but Phil is a little more rushed in his rehearsed lines at the moment that they almost kiss he ruins the moment and Rita slaps him then we see a series of days on where the date always ends up with Rita slapping Phil Um, on his way home he contemplates everything and the next day when he sees Rita he asks her is it all worth it uh, for many mornings, he wakes up and smashes his alarm clock in disgust as he hears the song, I Got You, Babe. Uh, he has a broadcast where he is. it is very clear that he is contemplating hurting himself. Uh, Larry says, he's out of his gourd. And Phil says, I have come to the end, Rita. Then he goes to the truck where Punxsutawney Phil is being put away. He jumps in the truck and kidnaps the groundhog. Uh, The mayor, Rita, Larry, and the police give chase, and they end up in a quarry. In the end, Phil drives the car off the edge of a cliff, and Larry is filming the whole thing. And as the car crashes to the bottom, he says, he might be okay. The car explodes. Well, no, probably not now. (laughs) The clock ticks at 6 a.m., and Phil is devastated to be alive. We then see 101 ways to kill Phil. Well, maybe not that many, but we see a lot of ways that he tries to kill himself. Uh, next, we see Phil and Rita in the cafe again. He is telling her that he is a god. He tells her that he has been killed in many ways and always uh, wakes up without a scratch on him. She does not believe him because it is not possible. And then he goes through the diner and introduces her to every single person in there and explains an in intimate detail about their life. After many questions, Correct predictions, she asks about herself, and he knows more about her than anyone else. She's astonished and she starts to believe him when he writes down exactly what Larry is going to say when he comes in moments later. Uh, she, then she suggests that they spend the day together. They have a discussion about how it may not be a curse, and she stays with him all day and waits until midnight to see if something happens, like he disappears or something. Um, it cuts to 3 a.m. where they are reading poems and Rita has fallen asleep on his shoulder. He confesses that she is the best and nicest person that he's ever met. And he describes that meeting her for the first time uh, was great. He proclaims that he does not deserve somebody like her, but she is too sleepy to have heard anything that he said. The next morning when Phil hears, I got you, babe, he has a new lease on life. Uh, He gives all of his money to the homeless beggar, brings coffee and donuts to Rita and Larry and gives insight on where the best shot to film um, the show would be. And he also asks Larry um, if he thinks it would be a good idea. This takes them both off guard and everyone thinks it's a good idea. He then uh, decides to learn how to play the piano. So he shows up to a woman's house and offers her a thousand dollars for a piano lesson. He is terrible at first, but after many days, he becomes very good at the piano. And when the teacher asks him, are you sure that this is the first lesson? He states, my dad was a piano mover. Also, uh, he learns to do ice sculptures. Uh, Later, we see the homeless man on the street. Uh, He falls down sick and uh, Phil takes him to the hospital where a nurse informs him that he has passed away. Phil demands to see her chart and the doctors say, well, sometimes people just die. And for the next day, uh, he is spent trying to do everything he can to prevent the old man's death. He fails. The next broadcast is uh, poetic and amazing. All of the news outlets are recording him. Rita is impressed and asks if he wants to go to breakfast. Uh, He takes a rain check and says that he has a few errands to run. They include saving a boy from falling out of a tree, changing the tire of some old ladies. Uh, giving the Heimlich maneuver to the choking mayor at dinner. Uh, at the end of the day, everyone heads to the town party. Rita says, "Hey, we should invite Phil." And a woman says, "Phil Connors? Oh, I think he's already there." As Rita and Larry enter the party, there is a li- There's lively jazz music playing, and they realize that Phil is jamming on the piano. Everyone is impressed. The piano teacher claims, he- "He's my student." And after Phil stops playing, Rita and Phil start dancing as the band continues to play without him. As they move across the dance floor, each person uh, he helps comes and thanks him. Rita's confused on how he knows everyone. Um, And the mayor announces that they are about to have their bachelor date auction. Phil is the first in line. Many women bid on him more and more money. And in the end, Rita takes out her wallet and bids everything that she has and wins the date. Afterward, uh, Larry goes up and no one bids except for an elderly woman that bids. Two bits. I won! I won! Uh, On on their way out, Phil runs into Ned. Ned is really happy because Phil bought every type of insurance you can buy. Uh, During the date, uh, Phil carves an ice sculpture of Rita's face. She loves it. Uh, He explains that he knows her face so well that he could have done it with his eyes closed. He confesses his love, and she says, I think I do too. They kiss, and it starts to snow. They walk back to the hotel. The clock clicks 6 a.m., and you got me, uh, you got me, babe, starts playing. Phil opens his eyes, and an arm reaches over and uh, turns off the alarm. He is confused because something is different. Rita is next to him in bed. He runs to the window and there is a snowy, snowy landscape. He complains. Or, well, he complains. No, he exclaims. Do you know what today is? Today is tomorrow. It happened. You are here. And that was the end of a very long day.
2: The end. Oh, thank you, Nick. How long did that go? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I some 10 minutes, which is not our longest summary you're not <laughs>
1: okay good there was that. just so much stuff in there i was like this need this uh, yeah but uh yeah
2: and particularly when you get to the last day like you need to have included all the earlier days when you're meeting a lot of these people who become significant on the last day even though odd film is just a quick callback you gotta take the time to mention it um, yeah in, in the summary. So and I, I do I have to it. say, it
1: was really fun. It was really fun to do it. I, I don't consider myself a good writer, um, but it was fun to like overanalyze the movie, like to a, the point where it's like, well, do I need to include this? Do I not? Um, so it was really fun, and I appreciate that you let me do it.
2: Yeah. Um, one thing that I did remember that I meant to put in the trivia that I had forgotten. Um, you mentioned that I think it's the third day when he started to be like really weirded out by this, and he snaps the pencil and puts it on the bedstand, and then lays down. In the yeah. script, he was supposed to like shave his head into a mohawk, uh, completely trash the room, uh, like tearing into the walls even and, and, you know, ripping everything apart. And then like just logistically, like we, we can't afford to do that. And we certainly can't shave his head. And they settled on just breaking the pencil, which is so much simpler. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> it, 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 like it feels better, actually. Like, yes, I probably could have laughed at seeing Bill Murray just destroy the room, mohawk. Like yeah. Yes. <laughs> with, with the Mohawk, and, and I trust Murray's ability to perform that. But there's something that just seems more poetic about the simplicity of snapping a pencil and setting it on the bedstand. Um, and, and it and, almost and, seems uh, like the last, like a, a last-minute thought, like, "Oh, wait,
1: I could do this, and maybe I could, you know, see if something will change." You know, and so I think I think it works better that way too.
2: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's one of those instances where working within constraints made the story better i think um and and uh, you know certainly working with constraints sometimes can make a lesser story but there are times where it actually ends up improving uh the final product to see how they they work around the idea that well he can't actually shave his head <laughs> and we get when we can't afford to do this set twice <laughs> you know uh, or which i i think that room wasn't even a set i think that was an actual room they were in so that's why they couldn't actually destroy it So one reason that I like this film so much is that for me, it is the perfect modern morality tale. Like it is preaching a lesson to the audience, but I never feel preached to which morality tales. You've really got to strike the right balance of having the message, not beating the audience over the head with a message, not feeling like you're being condescending and presenting the message to the audience and still being entertaining. And groundhog day checks all of those boxes. Like this is a fun movie to watch but it is also saying something about what it means to be a good person uh and and it is the story of a transformation from you know a a, a bad person to to a, to a better person not the worst person um i i remember um i was a guest over on the groundhog day minute which is a podcast that was analyzing this film one minute at a time per episode and um we mentioned like yes Phil is bad at the beginning, but if he was a worse person, it wouldn't be a palatable watch, even if he became a good person by the end. Like, even when he says there's no consequences and he does some bad things, it's not like he becomes a serial killer or anything like that, right? He is, he's, he's stealing, he's, he's doing immoral and unethical things, but it's, it's not too far for the audience to still want to see him redeemed.
1: Um, Well, and in in reality, all he really does when he goes on his bender is he actually becomes the designated driver, which is the responsible thing for two guys that are going to hurt somebody. And then while they're driving, he's like, I don't have to conform to society's rules so all he does is go hit a mailbox (laughs) like he's just like i'm just gonna go hit a mailbox and and they're like well if we wanted to hit mailboxes we would have had jim driver i don't remember his name (laughs) you know and then that the police officer sees him do that and that's why they start chasing him and then he's emboldened and he's like all right i'm gonna do something else i'm not supposed to do and that's drive on the train tracks like and he doesn't steal the car like he he Mm -hmm. actually in reality is not really doing anything against the law, except for that he hit a mailbox and is that's, that's a problem. And then he risks the lives of all these other people, you know, in playing chicken with a train, but yeah, it, and so yeah. you know
2: but but then after that he said like we this is when we see him at his worst where he says there's no consequences and he does things like indulge in gluttony uh he tries to pursue a lot of women yeah. but he never you know goes too far in pursuing these other women <laughs> um uh you know in, in the way that he would become an irredeemable character uh for, for the audience he he so so he steals money right so he does do that so, so there are some unlawful yeah, and immoral things that happen but it's it's still like i said he's he's not murdering people he's not uh you know becoming a rapist or anything like that like he's still someone who we kind it's of just, can root for to you know, root for him and want to see him become better
1: well and bill murray has a uncanny ability to be the most likable jerk in the world yes and We've he's able to do that in like every <laughs> yeah i mean scrooge like i mean you can just count like most films that's just what his you know superpower is and and so they really couldn't have cast very many other people to the success of this in my opinion
2: yeah oh i I totally agree um and but but also it's not that's not the only thing he does like there are real emotional beats that come throughout this film um of his pathos his his sadness like like so so we move from his he's got to play very confused initially for the first couple days uh, and angry, confused. Uh, right. And then uh, he goes on that bender and there's kind of this excited debauchery that, that he's going to enter into, <laughs> um, you know, engaging in the seven deadly sins. Right. Uh, and saying, well, it doesn't matter because there's no consequences, but then that is going to turn into despair. We're going to see him kill himself several times over uh, with none of them taking um, and then eventually, though, we we also have to see the turn where uh, he's going to try to better himself, not because it's going to give him a better chance with Rita or with any of the other women in the in this town, but because that's all he you know, he's he, that's that's what's going to give him any sense of fulfillment at this point. He's run through yeah. all of these um the, these things that. Someone might say would be the most fun thing you could do if you were stuck in this loop with no if there were no consequences. And he says none of those are satisfying. Uh, Eventually, they all become hollow. Um, Even if there was that initial thrill of saying I can do whatever I want, every one of those other activities becomes hollow to him. And eventually, like betterment in um, artistic, moral, ethical, and social ways is what he finds fulfilling, and that's what eventually breaks the cycle when he has this perfect day of utter selflessness uh, and, and um, that, that he's had to build up to right through, through all these iterations of this day.
1: Yeah. It's very telling that, you know, initially his only reason to become better is to get the girl kind of, you know, mm-hmm. or at least put on the facade that that's what he is. But it wasn't until it, it wasn't until he actually bettered himself and truly became what Rita was saying, where it's like, He has to be humble, you know, and he has to be this type of a person. And he's mentally checking this off in his mind. It's not until he actually achieves that, that he, he breaks the cycle. And so it wasn't about anyone else other than himself. And that's, that's awesome.
2: Yes. The, uh, and and like uh, we see him doing the facade of improving himself when he's finding out all of, um, Rita's interests, right? So he he learns the French poetry. I want to have kids,
1: lots and lots of kids. Oh, <laughs> come here, kids!
2: And well, that that's one of my favorite bits, though, is because you Bill Murray is like doing like like sometimes Bill Murray he just does his sardonic, dry, comedic performance. But there, like you're seeing him become more frayed, and like the the acting is wearing out at the edges, and and that's exactly what it needs to be. Uh, and and that whole sequence, you see. Um, you know, that segment, when he's going to say, I'm going to woo Rita and he can never get it right. Cause it's not, cause, cause she sees through him every single time. Right. She sees, she sees that this is performative uh, for him and it's, he hasn't become yet, uh, the, the person who, who she would be looking for, um, you see him trying harder and harder and harder and getting more and more desperate. And there's like, even within those days that are repeated, there's so many really great moments. Like when he orders her drink, cause he discovers what her favorite drink is. And yeah. He, he drinks it and then you see like it, it's not overplayed, but he just like makes a little grimace like mm, that is not a good drink.
0: <laughs> like it's just not to his <laughs> taste.
2: Uh and I think it, it it would be a really easy scene to overplay, but he just hits it just enough that when you're watching for it, it is so much funnier that it is underplayed that he's trying not to grimace in disgust at this drink that he's just had. Uh yeah, but 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 it's definitely there. Um or that <laughs> I love the beat when uh when he realizes that she says, Well, I always like to make a toast to world peace it's and world so the next day, like we we reset and he's like i like to say a prayer and drink to world peace and so she's like well to world peace and then he pauses and then amen <laughs> and he try- takes his drink
1: and the and the bartender's like ooh boy's got
2: game <laughs> like it's <pretty> funny. <laughs> well, well, the bartender gives that exact same look to um oh what's chris elliott's character all of a sudden i'm blanking on the, larry uh, cameraman Larry, Larry, when Larry is trying guy, yeah. to, <laughs> trying to flirt to with, woo, uh, is it, yeah. uh, what, what's the character's name? Nancy. Uh, Trina, Her name is Nancy, hurt? Nancy, Nancy, right? Nancy. Uh, he's trying to woo Nancy. It's the exact same cut of the bartender looking over like,
0: mm.
2: <laughs> shaking his head like, nah, nah, nah. The wise old barkeep seen it all. before. Do you have any, um favorite favorite moments in this film i know you are uh famous over on the fandom podcast for your ability to quote things is there anything that stands out for you in this film
1: well a lot of them i included in the um in the synopsis in the long synopsis um but i i feel like um i I love the interaction with the (laughs) with the hostess like because she's just (laughs) so clueless um And like, I mean, we, I didn't put in the synopsis of like the time when he's in the shower and he's like, is there any hot water? And she's like, Oh, not today. Like, no, (laughs) not, not today. And he's like, of course not today. You know, like, um, but just, just there's so many subtle things in this movie. I love Larry's character too, just because he's so clueless all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's like, Hey, do you want to go in the van? Like, (laughs) uh, he's got great one-liners. Um, but I, I, mean, hands down the most memorable Memorable scenes in in this movie are all with Ned, like <laughs> bill right phil <Yeah>. <laughs> Phil Connors, Ned, like every single time I mean, I always think of sneakers because he's the the guy they're fooling and sneakers too like I mean that guy's been in like every show, but oh yeah, I yeah. like Steven I Velosky. like to he's think he's been a, an acting
2: like a professional actor for decades at this point
1: yeah, and he he's the hey, I know that guy because he's yeah. always the character in in the movie but like in my head canon i like to think that he he, um quits his insurance job because he makes so much money goes to school and then becomes the tech guru in sneakers (laughs) like that in
0: sneakers (laughs) yeah yeah so
1: that's (laughs) that's you know mashing my fandoms and that's what we do on the fandom podcast all the time so you know i I just can't help it you know dr Egon is the doctor in this show. He mm-hmm. he then goes on to para, paranormal, you know, psychology, and and <laughs> later on, after <laughs> he, he decides, I'm not really helping these people in Punxsutawney. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go be a Ghostbuster now, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but the, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> so
2: the uh, I like I, I like how he's Blosky like, said... you know, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Oh, I was going to say, Stephen Tullos, he said, like, I'm like, i I'm sure if we looked up on IMDb, he probably has over 100 credits as, like, small parts in TV shows and movies and everything. But he said Groundhog Day is the only thing people want to talk with him about, even though his career as years and years as a working actor in Hollywood, something about this film resonated with audiences so much. And, and his performance as Ned and... And uh, like uh, the audience gets so excited about it, seeing him hit on that that third or fourth day when Bill Murray's losing it, uh, you know, so, something about that performance in the in this film, and this film has become a classic. And like we said, is, is preserved in the National Film Registry uh, and these other things. It's become like what he is identified for is always Ned Ryerson.
1: I uh, so this this just came to my mind while I was watching the show, prepping for it. Uh, the moment when he stills the car, um, my wife is sitting over with our you know, nine-month-old kid and immediately, and this was the first run through. I hadn't watched the show in a long time um, up to this point. I mean, it's probably been years. Um, and as soon as he hops in the car, she says, don't drive angry. And I was like, why did she say that? And then Bill Murray says it. And I was like, "Ah, oh, you know what? That's why I love you, Lena. Because you're quoting movies too, like (laughs) before they even come. But that's one of my, you know, watch out, watch out. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. Um, My other one that I love is when Phil says, this is the one time when television really fails to capture the true excitement of a large squirrel predicting the weather. And it's just like that line Emulates like exactly how he feels to be there. (laughs) He says it in completely sarcastic tone, and she's like, "Maybe now, not with all the sarcasm." He's like, "We got it," and he just leaves. Like, I think that that, I mean, it sets up so many things in there, and like, like as I was watching the film too, like I always like to look for funny quotes or things that I can quote in just everyday conversation, and I really didn't feel like there were a ton of them in this like at least as much as I, I could the others because everything is so situational. Right. And so it made it hard to be like, well, I could just quote, you know, like there's, I mean,
2: like there's a couple, like it's the documented pork shop.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, it's documented on this podcast that there are certain movies where I can just come up with <laughs> any situation and quote, you know, movies. Um, but this one, I didn't feel like there were as many of those because the dialogue is so good for that situation that it just needs to stay in that situation, <laughs> like you know. So
2: yeah, the I I completely understand. Like there are, it's kind of like what with what Lena did for you. Like I I see a scene coming, and I get in my head like the when he's doing the Jeopardy, like the the Lake Titicaca and <laughs> the way he looks, <laughs> Lake Titicaca. Back and <laughs> everyone All like the that i, I know clapping. that's coming and then what was that oh yeah All the,
1: <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the, <laughs> the ladies are like clapping they're so impressed that he like literally knows every answer to jeopardy
2: <laughs> um and, and the don't drive angry like these are quotes like i know are coming but kind of like you said they don't have utility as much uh outside of of groundhog day um but they work very well and there's um like you said, you can't imagine Bill Murray, uh, anyone but Bill Murray playing playing Phil. I can't imagine anyone but Stephen Tobolowski playing Ned, or Chris Elliott playing Larry, or Randy McDowell playing Rita. Like this was a really well cast um, film, and uh, w- when you get that combination of this. This script that they're all working on and improving, because like we said, like they they had to clarify some ambiguities while on set and figure out exactly how they wanted to to stage uh, some of these things. And when you get all those creative people, uh, sometimes you just get the right alchemy. Uh, and, and every film like wants that to happen. Every film tries to, to have everyone bringing their a game. Uh, and but something about this one, the alchemy was just right to um, hit hit that uh that right combination at least for me of of entertainment and depth uh and and bill murray is just a a standout for so many of his line readings and his deliveries and and his performance uh again not just the comedic stuff uh that that he's most well known for but i think he he gets into some legitimate uh depth of acting uh in this that we don't always see from him
1: yeah i feel like i mean The reason why this show um, has stood the test of time is and this is something that's kind of funny, too, like that I notice about shows is sometimes you can watch a show and the clothes, the cars and stuff will date the movie just right off the bat. Right. And I think that there's sometimes that filmmakers and in this case, when you talked about how the filmmaker made a conscious decision or the writer made a conscious decision that like there's no shows about Groundhog Day, let's make a show that can become a tradition that they purposely filmed this show so that it could stand the test of time like they didn't put any radical 80s hairdos in it or they didn't you know showcase like cars that people couldn't still own like an old red pickup truck i mean that's just kind of a car that's going to exist forever you know even when all of the people are at the festival and stuff like that they're all just wearing coats that are probably not that you know it doesn't say oh that's 70s or oh that's 80s or that's 90s um and so like it makes me wonder why filmmakers don't do that more often because there's so many films that like immediately when you watch it, you're like, well, this movie is dated like right off the bat. Even if it's like meant to be in the 80s, you're like, "Ugh," you know, but I feel like this movie definitely doesn't have that feel. Um, yeah,
2: there's um a kind of a timelessness to the, the the setting, right? Which I mean, it is kind of. And there's something supernatural going on, and it is unmoored from time, uh, and in, in what we're seeing. But I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, you, as you, as you go through, it's not like, oh, this is so early 90s, the, the style of hair and clothing and music and, and all those. Uh, I mean, some of this is because they're playing polka music, uh, which is clearly just for <laughs> their, their Punxsutawney yeah. film uh, celebration. So that, that kind of separates it from, you know, having whatever the biggest hit of 1993 blaring from the radio and well, and even like the, the, the clock radio, right? Like doing the, uh, yeah, I've got you to
1: share. That's a song that's forever going to be, you know, that's no not 1993,
2: and... right? That, that no, is absolutely not, uh, you, you know, time. I mean, is, I guess yeah, the, or, or,
1: the yeah. only time that I really felt that was the opening credit song and the closing credit song.
2: Which they wrote for this film.
1: Yeah, it's called The Weatherman. I'm your Weatherman. Um, And then the fact that he uses a payphone, right? Yeah. Like nobody would use a payphone now, but, (laughs) you know, like the lines are down,
2: right? The the lines are down. That that doesn't happen. Yeah,
1: that's actually (laughs) one of my favorite lines (laughs) when he's like, he's like, what do you mean the lines are down? And oh, let me think about it for a oh, he, he, he says, uh,
2: uh, "Don't you have a special
1: line
0: for come celebrities on all the long yeah, all the long
1: distance lines are down? Uh, what about satellite? Is it snowing in space? <laughs> you know?" And then he's <laughs> like, "Do you have a special line for celebrities and emergencies? Because I'm both. I'm a celebrity in an emergency. Like it's just like okay, buddy. Like good job. Oh, yeah, that's a funny part. Uh, yeah." Huh. the other thing that really stands out to me in this show is that there really isn't a very big cast of characters, um, which, which I think adds to its charm too. Like it easily could have, they could have introduced a ton of characters and all of the minor characters have so much little screen time, but they only need to play that part for, you know, a second and then it's repeated over and over and over And, and So like you have three main characters, um, if you consider Larry one, I mean, Larry's kind of not one. Um, and then you have all of these other pieces that are just put in to, to to show, to show the journey. And I, I actually think that Rita has an arc too, even though she's living, you know, living the same day over and over, but I feel we, like we learn more about her. Yeah. As time goes on, but also we learn that she's the type of person that, eventually or can see like, even though she has this preconceived notion, she's known this man for, you know what? Three days now. If that, like it just depends on how long it, Oh, actually they they
2: may be first meeting in the van. Actually.
1: Yeah. They, they meet on the set when she's like playing with the green screen and he's kind of looking at her. And that's actually referenced later when he's talking to her and says the first time that I ever saw you, I wanted to hold you and you can see it in his face like if you watch it you can see that he's kind of like oh this girl's interesting he's got that intrigue um and then that's when he you know in the van he's like trying to kind of like be funny and hey people like blood sausage i've got one in the you know i've got i've got some in the thing and she's like I actually do like blood sausage <laughs> you know and he's like real real quick uh
2: that that scene i remember in a film class when i was in college uh we we had a day where we were talking about characters um and that we watched that scene uh the, the the first couple minutes of groundhog day and specifically he said you have this character who is very unlikable in, in Bill Murray. Like he's, he's being a jerk to everyone around him. He's talking down to the guy who's replacing him. He's, he's clearly got a kind of fractious relationship with the anchor. Uh, and he's making fun of Rita when he has just met her. And he said, and in talking about this the film, professor said, but there's something that happens that's super important to the story and to this character to make us root for him. And that is that she laughs. If she didn't laugh, we would hate him, but she laughs when he's, When he he does the bit about blood sausage and he makes the groundhog face uh, in the in the mirror and he says that little character moment of her laughing is so key for us um, uh, accepting Phil as a protagonist in in this in this movie.
1: That is awesome. (laughs)
2: Like and it's one of those things like you you have to wonder like was that in the script that way was that a performance choice in the moment. And they they liked that take. They're like, do they have different takes of different reactions? And they said, "Well, let's use this one." Uh, and then they realized how how key that all was. Or is this just you know one of those things that this is this is just how it came out? <laughs> because uh, now now take I have to used. find the
1: script. Right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's posted somewhere. <laughs> well, maybe not. But yeah, that's a that's amazing. And it's funny it's funny to you to me when somebody who has not studied film, right? Like, I'm just a connoisseur. I like watching films. But when somebody tells me something like that, it makes me appreciate the art so much more. Like it makes me appreciate all of the thought and, you know, and makes me appreciate a movie that is good as opposed to one that's just like, Oh, well, you know, anybody can film a movie. I'm just going to pull a camera up and stuff. Um, And so, you know, let's all be a little better about thinking about that. Right. (laughs) Like, like let's appreciate what goes into this stuff. Um, And, yeah, I mean that, that. At least that's what my brain does, and I, well, I try wh- to. Wh- and maybe even the moral of the story for Groundhog's Day is: let's try to be more appreciative of everyone's little thing, right? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a thought that I had right now. Like, Phil goes through and meets every single person in this town, and in the end, in, at first, he hates the town with a fiery passion, and, and then, everyone in it. <laughs> and yeah and everyone he doesn't even want to get to know any single person in it and because he spends so much time and it's the only thing that can occupy his time that's anything new is like I'm going to learn about this couple that is getting married and she's having second thoughts and then in the end he finds out that they love wrestling and so he gets some tickets to Wrestlemania and you know like he helps them get married
2: uh, Andrew pointed this out to me do you know who that actor is in that couple the boy
1: uh I know that it was his first role, but I don't remember who he was. My Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon. Okay, honestly, I don't know what that means.
2: General, uh, General, General Zod,
0: Zod. Uh, Oh, from he Superman? was in he was in Shape of yeah. Water recently. Never saw that movie. Sorry, Me neither, I'm but he person. was he was known for it, and I mean, he, what, what he was nominated for an Oscar no, a couple oh, years so he's, ago. So
1: he's General Zod in Batman, uh, Man of Steel.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's I the know guy He's is. like he's also he was in Boardwalk Empire. That's what I know him from really well. Yeah. um He's amazing in that show. Um,
2: wow. But, and that was but, like but that's like his I first know, video. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm sorry to derail that because I love what you're saying. Because um, I think as an audience, like also like we could just thinking like okay, small town that like, gets really excited about Groundhog Day. We probably have our own prejudices <laughs> you know like there's very easy to like dismiss this life that we see but in that scene when he walks through the diner and he says something legitimate about every person and like reve- revealing about who they are even uh you know the drunk guy that he uh got in the car with he, like he talks about he wishes he stayed in the navy and, and the guy like says yeah my life would be different uh, and i would have been able to retire with half pay at this point in my life where i am right now and it's kind of a personal tragedy that i didn't do that um but, like like it, it's it humanizes what had been kind of pawns being moved around this chessboard uh, and, and in humanizing them. It, it, these people that had just been, you know, characters, you know, which is what they needed to be in the film up to that point. Uh, it's kind of like what you're saying, like, well, think about that with every single person that's around you in real life. <laughs> and like they all have a backstory that's theirs uh, and, and explains how they've ended up where they are. And a lot of them are probably going to have some tragedy within them that Uh,
1: we could empathize
2: and sympathize more with them than we often do when we're very dismissive in our brief interactions with other people.
1: And we're very quick to judge like, wow, this person wore red today and it's, or he wore white after Labor Day. Let's just say that, right? Like, Oh, (laughs) does he not know the rule? Does that matter? Like, you know, like let's just be nicer. I mean the, the entire theme of this movie is let's be nicer to everybody and help each other out. And we'll have a perfect day, <laughs> right? Like, yes. If, be if, more if, if we conti- <laughs> Yeah. If we continue our day and we make a goal every day to make it our best and to be kind to one another, then the world will be a better place, inevitably for everyone. Um, yes. And so, it, I mean, and that's a powerful message, and and that's also why I think that this silly comedy about a groundhog was put into the film registry because it's, it's a morality tale. Like you said, that tells us let's be better to each other in the immortal mm-hmm. words of Bill and Ted be excellent to each other. Or, you know, like, I mean, there's so many ways that we can put it. And so we should all think about that when we go to bed tonight. And if we wake up tomorrow and it's the same day, we know how to get out of this time loop.
2: Yeah. I, and I think another important thing is also not just, um, that self being selfless and kind to other people doesn't mean that you neglect yourself. Like he improves himself in vast ways uh, in the last act of the film, right? He starts to commit to learning music. He starts to learn uh, to read more. Like uh, there's scenes of him just like sitting and reading deep books and you see him like thinking. Uh, And so being selfless isn't neglecting yourself it's it's being better to everyone else but also being the best version of yourself is, is what we see in this film
1: i do remember that um in that quote where it said that there would be a thousand days that initially they were going to put in the film that he read a page of a book every day and so that's, that's a way how of he marking counted. time passage yeah that's how he counted uh-huh. the time passing but they decided to take that out um mm-hmm just as a general thing that's completely off topic, but it is just something that I remember (laughs) like, and you know, I think, I think it's better not knowing. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that it also, um, is good, um, that like he doesn't know because time deprivation will eventually make somebody go insane. Right. (laughs) Like that's kind of (laughs) documented as well. And so like, if he, if he doesn't know how much time has passed, then, you know, that would, bring him to his breaking point on where he tries to kill himself a million times. And it isn't until he finds value in himself or value in something else that he gets snapped out of it. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um,
1: it's a fantastic film
2: in so many ways. One, uh, like filmmaking thing that I love that I've noticed, uh, in, in I don't know when I caught it in a rewatch, but at the very end there, um, they they come out of the the bed of breakfast and there's this archway at the, um, at the end of the sidewalk coming out of it. And, and the last shot is them like walking out through, through this archway and framed with them in the archway is this minivan that backs up and it gets perfectly framed under the archway as they're walking out under it. And I think at some point I thought that must've just been an accident. Like, why is there a minivan in that shot? And now I think it's pretty like, like the way it's framed that that was not an accident and like the minivan is this symbol of both family which seems to be where those two are heading but also like traveling together <laughs> which uh phil is so isolated at the beginning yes he's driving in the van to to punk satani uh but he's he's not traveling with anyone like he, he's cut himself off from all relationships and in, in what we see and what we come to know of him uh and instead uh at the end like it's it's um, not just this message of be be kind to each other, but like realize we're we're all in this together. We're we're moving along together, uh, and that's why uh, you know the the final day is like it, it builds so perfectly to this moment of like oh he's he's gonna get it and we're gonna be there to see it. <laughs> we're gonna go along on this ride with him of him, uh, uh, you know, being the best version of himself and seeing how that lifts everyone around him.
1: Yeah, and the and the journey is what's satisfying. Mm -hmm. not just the result. Yes. That's, that's an important lesson to learn from this as well is that some people are so fixated on the end that they don't enjoy the ride, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, that, I mean, that's just as important as anything else.
2: And um, just, I, I know we're probably getting very close to the end here. I did want to acknowledge that they take the time to say, in his thousand days or whatever it is, there are problems that he cannot fix. Right with the the old man who dies yeah. that day, and when he's told like uh, it's just his day to die, like he he's old and frail, and today's his day to die. Bill Murray's like, well, not today. <laughs> like this can't I possibly can just... be. <laughs> um, at that point, he's referred to himself as a god, not the god, a god. Uh, <laughs> Although I maybe I don't know. <laughs> yes, uh, but he, but he realizes the limitations, and and I think that's another important part of like the in identifying these overall messages of the film there's the selflessness but also the improving of yourself but also recognizing that you cannot address every issue that is out there in the world um even if phil has his thousand days he's not or or, you know centuries or whatever it may be that he that he's and you know supposed to have lived on this there are some things that he can't he can't fix
1: yeah, I, it always runs long when I'm on the podcast. So I'm and I apologize that for that, because no, it's just no. it's just the reality. I'm sorry. We always try to keep it within an hour and then it's not. Um, but <laughs> but there's there's definitely a life lesson to learn here. And I hope that um, in listening even today or thinking about this or going and rewatching this, that you are made better a little bit for watching this. It's not just for comedy. Um you know, take something from it and better yourself. And that should be the message of today's podcast. Clearly. Um, so be excellent to each other.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. I can't think of a better note. end <laughs> on than that, So thank you for joining us listeners for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast and your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English who designed our logo. You're welcome. And Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 42 when we talked about ghostbusters or episode number 52. When we talked about a Christmas Carol, another classic morality tale. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at Protagonist and at J Dorowski and our producer Andrew is at Disminute and our Facebook fan Diz page minute. is Facebook.com slash Protagonist Podcast. And we enjoy our conversations there with our listeners. Nick, do you have anything you would like to plug?
1: So I am an artist by trade, and so you can go see some of my artwork if you'd like at NickenglishArt.com and Nick is spelled N-I-K. There's no C English like the language art um, and then also i am on the fandom podcast uh it is a safer work discussion about um <laughs> comic book dis- stuff um all of the ho- or all of my co-hosts have been on this podcast but you can find us at fandompodcast.com or you can just search us on spotify apple wherever you get your podcasts um, search for the fandom podcast and uh, you can come listen to us as well. We would love to, to hear from you. We love the protagonist guys. We've been on a lot of times. They've been on our podcast. Um, and then we also have a Facebook group uh, called the Fandomaniacs. So <laughs> you can go Such on Facebook. Such a good name
2: for, <laughs> for your, your Facebook group. We, could not, we, we tried to think of something for protagonist podcast. And we could not find any good collective noun sounding
1: so, uh, so title. So that is the challenge the call to action. So if any protagonists <laughs> out there, I don't know, protagonist pod pods potters uh out there want to uh come up with a good name, we talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and we all had terrible ideas and it was from listener feedback that the fandomaniacs were born. So um obviously you guys have better ideas than we do, so show us, right? Like I think it's a good idea. <laughs>
2: Oh, thank you, Nick. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll we'll get some good good ideas for that. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we will be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
1: May the fandom be with you.
2: Sorry, Riky Rhythm.
0: Well, and I totally lost my place. <laughs>